You're listening to the Today in Manufacturing podcast. Hi, I'm David Manti, and welcome to a new episode of the Today in Manufacturing podcast. With me today is Jeff Ranke and Anna Wells. We're all editors of Industrial Equipment News and Manufacturing.net with about 15 years of experience covering the industry. Every week, we take the five biggest stories in manufacturing and discuss the implications they might have on the industry going forward. Before we get started, please make sure to like, share, and subscribe to the podcast. You could also help us out a lot by leaving a positive review on whatever platform you use. Finally, if you want to reach us via email, you can just hit us up at Jeff, David, or Anna at IEN.com with email the podcast in the subject line. Jeff, how are you doing today? I almost forgot the name of the podcast. It's it's good to know that we're doing a podcast when you're introducing the podcast. Yeah. I'm doing well, but I am playing hurt. I yeah. just want to let you know. We'll get into it later. Okay. But um, I'm okay right now. You have okay. a podcast-related injury? It or? is not podcast-related, okay. but I'm, I'm getting through the podcast despite um, an injury I encountered last night cutting the grass. Oh, jeez. Oh. <laughs> He's got his feet. He's got his feet. I can't Anna, wait. And I... Uh, have you been slashed or maimed by a lawnmower lately? Uh-uh, that is not something I do. <laughs> <laughs> right, very good. Very good. Well, let's jump into our first story this week. Opel unveils tiny entry-level EV. Opel, the German car maker, recently unveiled a small electric vehicle, the Rocks ESUM. The SUM stands for Sustainable Urban Mobility. The two-seater has a 5.5-kilowatt-hour battery that can be fully recharged in 3.5 hours using any household socket. The EV's range is limited to slightly less than 47 miles per charge, and the car tops out at less than 30 miles per hour. And it is truly tiny. The car is less than 8 feet long, about 4.5 feet wide, not counting the mirrors, and weighs just over 1,000 pounds. The entry-level vehicle is designed to bridge the gap between an electric scooter and a passenger car. Opel hasn't disclosed the Rocks E's price, but the car will be marketed towards new young drivers beginning in the fall. Anna, are you the target demographic for an Opel SUM? <laughs> I wonder if it like translates differently in German because the Rocks E sum is such an awkward yeah. name. Just, what are you driving? I'm driving a Roxy sum. Rocks E sum. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Rocks E S U M. I don't know. Um, <laughs> I think it's a niche product. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, it's the range on that is so low, obviously. Um, so I think we need to talk about this in the context of that. But this is first going on sale in Germany, where super small cars are more the standard than what we'd see here. Mm-hmm. Whether or not this vehicle ever makes it to the US is to be seen. They have not mentioned which specific markets they plan to expand to after Germany, but they said other markets in 2022. Probably not the U.S. I see Jeff shaking his head. <laughs> um, I think, real, you know, like it's a, it's a bridge between a scooter and a car. I think this competes more with a scooter. Yeah. Um, and Op- Opel is saying that it will be priced as such, that it's actually going to be priced below that of a small car. Oh, wow. Um, I like it for cities where parking is a challenge. Opel is really emphasizing its role in um, shuttling kids to school, like teenagers mm-hmm. to high school. Um, so it'll be good for parking. I mean, it's literally like half the length of a midsize SUV that we would see more in the U.S. Okay. So uh, you can see why that would be appealing, especially from a safety perspective, compared to like putting your 15, 16-year-old on a scooter yeah, or yeah. a bike in a busy city setting. Like this might be actually safer for them. And, and 
um, the way it's classified in Germany, they said 15-year-olds can drive this. Oh, wow. So okay. it's very yeah. specific to that region, um, some of those benefits, I think. Okay. Uh, Jeff, sounds like you're not going to be a huge advocate for the Rox-E-Sum. Rox-E-Sum. I don't think I could fit, <laughs> to yeah. be honest. I mean, yeah. when I looked at it first, first of all, there is some really – some amazing engineering that went into this vehicle. Yeah. Mm-hmm. It's not really that much smaller than a smart car. Mm-hmm. Okay. It's about the same width, excuse me, <clears throat> but it's about 10 inches shorter. Okay. Now that 10 inches for a guy like me, six, two, six, three, that makes a difference. Yeah. Like I've been in a smart car. I can sit in the front seat of a smart car, but that I need that much space that's there. Yeah. Mm-hmm. That, I, yeah. that I can't do without less. So even taking off the 10 inches, like that is going to make that extremely difficult for me to get in there. So they're limiting their potential uh, customer base a little bit. Yeah. You know, mm-hmm. a little bit taller, a little bit bigger. What is unique though is because even though the frame really isn't that much smaller than a smart car, it's a thousand pounds less. Yeah. That's amazing. Mm-hmm. Um, when mm-hmm. you look at taking out basically the internal combustion components of it, putting in a battery and Shedding a thousand pounds. Yeah, I mean that's impressive. That's a small battery. Yeah, yeah. I mean that's that's incredible. I think this is sort of a rideshare type of vehicle. I think mm-hmm. it could have great applications there. The fact that it can only go thirty miles an hour, even in a city setting, mm-hmm. that almost feels like a safety concern potentially. If you need to move quickly, I mean, even driving in a city where you're only supposed to be going twenty five thirty. I mean, sometimes you need to get out of the way. Yeah. <laughs> you need oh, yeah. to get moving. Get through that intersection or whatever. With, yeah. Uh, with mm-hmm. the pace of traffic. So I would be concerned there. I don't see this make it in the U.S. I just, I <laughs> yeah. cannot imagine this um, in any type of setting. I mean, so, other than maybe on like a really big campus, like we've got oh, a big yeah. software company just mm-hmm. up the way here. Yeah. If it's a huge spread out campus, I can see this being perfect for yeah. something like that. That's a good call. Yeah, um, for sure. Like <clears throat> replacing like a Cushman or something, you could just yeah. ride it around in a... Well, and plus it could potentially potentially be safer. We've seen some really bad incidents with those scooters. People right. who should oh, yeah. not be on them, don't understand exactly what they've got going on. Um, fatalities and things like that with not being able to control a scooter. This is more enclosed, obviously. It's a car. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So definitely some safety benefits there to it. Um, so yeah, it's sort of mixed feelings about it, in all honesty, for yeah. me. Um see what kind of applications. I think it's it's a good place to start. Not sure what the right application is. Anna, is this enough to get millennials and Gen Z in a car? Maybe. Yeah. I mean, you know, I think that people are looking for lower price points for sure. Mm-hmm. Um, and we're not seeing, as we've mentioned in the past, we're not seeing a lot of innovation from the auto industry on small cars. Yeah. Um, you know, if these are, if this is the generation that likes ride share, they like scooters they like you know transportation mm-hmm. outside of like the traditional family suv yeah maybe this does work but to jeff's point i agree that in the u.s it, i mean maybe someday but definitely not now yeah and see i could see this going the other way if this is your first real exposure mm-hmm. to a vehicle and you get in you're like this is it mm-hmm. yeah this is what driving a car is it could be kind of a turnoff to be honest yeah um so i don't think that this type of vehicle just it needs a little bit more yeah. Just even space. <laughs> yeah. Well, and, I mean, and if it's um, the, based on the specs, you wonder like if if it were used for an application like um, it, you know in a campus setting or something like yeah. that, like could it tow anything? Like because that would probably be helpful oh, to have like storage no. space or something. Like probably not. No, the so storage the storage space yeah. I found particularly hilarious uh, because it says storage is limited to the passenger footwell. And isn't that for storing your feet? Yeah, and what the company calls a smart hook, which is, they say, <laughs> the specifications say it's 
capable of holding a double XL size shopping bag. Oh, or like a jacket. That would be nice. Yeah. So, I mean, talking about taking this in campus, mm. I don't even know if it can carry you your bag. You can't yeah. have your backpack on. Yeah. 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 Uh, the reason I ask about millennials and Gen Z is because we've talked about it a lot, about how they're just not driving, not interested in cars. Mm. I looked into the Federal Highway Administration, which found that in 2018, only 61% of 18-year-olds in the U.S. even had a driver's license, mm-hmm. which is down from 80% in 83. Uh, 1983, the number of 16-year-olds with licenses decreased from 46% to 25%. Oh, wow. Yeah. So that's why I was curious because I didn't know if this was like it served some of the things that, you know, because uh, teens now are looking for something that's more environmentally friendly, uh-huh. uh, something that's less stressful. And because they just don't seem about to care about cars, I was wondering if this is like they're trying to like, uh, you know, suit those needs. Okay, I can only speak from personal experience when it comes to teenagers and their attitudes on cars. So my oldest daughter just was not into it. Now she's up at school. I think that's going to come very quickly. Okay, there's more of a need for it. Sure. My two youngest daughters, they can't wait to get in the car. Mm -hmm. They don't care if it's electric. They don't care if it's a dump truck. They want a vehicle that is theirs to drive and go and get out of the house. So I think it's great to say, yeah, they want these more environmentally friendly vehicles. It's just your attitude towards driving. Yeah, it's really it's an individual thing. Mm-hmm. And one of the things that I look for, look to is when I was growing up, I needed the social interaction. That car was the way. That vehicle was the way for me to get out of the house and oh, hang yeah. out with my friends and do whatever. They can do that with a laptop, mm-hmm. yeah. a phone, whatever. There's still a social d- dynamic there. So if you're a little bit more of not as an outgoing type yeah. of individual. You just don't feel that need, that pressure to get until you get out there, you get a job, you have to get back and forth, whatever the case may be. I think that's a greater dynamic mm-hmm. in impacting driving preferences right now than just it's not environmentally friendly and I'm worried about that. Well, this I, I is don't. even a perfect fit for the antisocial because you can't fit anybody else. In <laughs> that's true. <laughs> All right. Our next most popular story. One in four executives fired workers over Zoom blunders. Blunders. Uh, blunders. <laughs> A recent Bloomberg report found that 25% of executives at large companies have had to fire someone over a Zoom call slip-up. Zoom calls went up from 10 million per day at the close of 2019 to 30 million Zoom calls per day in 300, sorry, 300 million per day in April of 2020. It turns out that not everybody was competent when it came to virtual meeting platforms. The problem is that even small blunders could cost companies business, including being late, not knowing when to mute, or inadvertently revealing proprietary information. The survey also found that bosses don't completely trust a third of their workforce to be effective in a work-from-home setting. Now, Jeff, I want to get to that last point in a little bit, but can you believe so many people are being fired over not wearing pants on the phone? Yes. <laughs> Without a doubt. And yeah. and. It does vary, okay, depending on the situation. When it comes to unplanned stuff, I was on plenty of these Zoom calls. You hear a dog barking, a Mm -hmm. kid runs into the room. All of that is fine. Mm -hmm. I don't have a problem with that. You can't always handle that. My cat would jump up on the table, whatever Mm -hmm. the case is. Fired. However, and as much as I want to just absolutely burn this particular vendor that we all worked with, there would be times when I had a very serious concern issue a reoccurring problem that we were dealing with with one of our internal systems. And when you get a hold of this person and they're doing a Zoom call and they're sitting there petting their dog, that doesn't really reinforce a sense of urgency or confidence in that they're really going to get after and take care of and solve our problem and that they really Mm -hmm. care about us as a customer. Yeah, that's a good point. So when it's that type of behavior, 
yeah, I would have loved for that individual <laughs> to have been fired because I was very, very frustrated in that circumstance. Yeah. On the other hand, when we also made it, we also brought on a new vendor. We did everything through Zoom. They were fantastic. Everybody was promotional. Everybody was super professional. Even though the one individual I had to work with was a Cubs fan, <laughs> I was able to look past all of that stuff in the background because he was prepared for the call. Yeah. Did everything that we needed done. Um, even if he did, I know, I'm sorry. Okay. I had to look past it. <laughs> um, even though he had his Cubs, you know, 2016 World Series hat on all yeah. the time, mm. I just, I could look past that because yeah. we were getting the job done. So I can understand the frustration that would come out of this situation if these folks were on a big team call with a customer and, you know, you got somebody put his feet up on the table and not taking it as seriously as professionally as you'd want them to. Anna. Did I mean we understand the hate over the Cubs? But did you know that Jeff hated dogs? <laughs> no problem with dogs. <clears throat> Sounds like you do. Yeah. Uh, no, Anna. I mean, uh, we've all had slip ups on uh, Zoom calls, and I guess I never thought that you know wearing a hat was potentially going to get me fired for it's being a fireable offense. Yeah, here, Jeff. Yep. Yeah. <laughs> um, I don't know. I thought that this was a little harsh. A little I hot. mean, yeah. Yeah, I, like. Not Jeff, you're you're right. No, I I meant like the firing of the workers. Um, I don't know. I just nobody asked to be like thrust into this weird alternative work reality. And I mm. hope these business leaders provided some sort of a grace period as people adjusted. Yeah. Um, I mean, on the other hand, Zoom is not very hard. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I don't yeah. know what the ramp up period is, but um, a few days. I don't know. Yeah. I, like we read so much in manufacturing and distribution about technology impl- implementations and workers trying to like actively work around those. And so you wonder if this sort of shed some light on some of those technology resistors. Yeah. Uh, maybe they don't have the skill set that they, I don't know, purport to have. Yeah. Like these are, the, you know, the people that are insisting on using spreadsheets when the software exists to not. And, yeah. you know, with, and, and you know that these people are in every company, right? That yeah. they just resist um, their kind of lag on technology because they don't like it or they don't want to learn it. Mm-hmm. Um, but I do think that managers can do maybe a better job of training, pointing out the benefits, um, even if they feel obvious from the top level. But I get that it's easy to come across as unprofessional when you're forgetting to mute or whatever. But yeah. in my experience, people were, as you said, <clears throat> very forgiving of one another's noise, pets, kids, whatever. Yeah. Like how bad were these infractions? What, I feel like it's people... got to be repeat offenders. Yeah. And like, like what were they doing? Yeah. I don't I didn't ever get the feeling from somebody that they were concerned about anybody's stuff. You know, we we're all at home. Nobody wanted to be there. It was yeah. the pandemic. So. When I mean, uh, I've certainly had the call with the dog just blasting the entire mm-hmm. time. It's like, oh, no, don't worry. They're just in the cage. It's like, well, do you want to go let them out? Mm-hmm. Like we can take yeah. a minute. Um, and the other point I wanted to bring up is how the survey said that you know, bosses don't completely trust a third of their workforce to be effective from a work from home setting. And I understand that some executives just want more control. But the one thing that I have learned throughout the pandemic is that this has proven that if you have a workforce that wants to do the job, Mm -hmm. they will, and they will do it to the best of their ability, regardless of the circumstances. Right. And so I don't know, I found that to just like be a red flag for a lot of micromanagers out there. Yeah. I mean, it was a tough situation, though. You have to remember that a lot of people, especially in the early part of the pandemic, were juggling 
childcare in tandem with trying to work. And that was, that's like an unwinnable game, you know? Oh, I know. Hey, we, we all posted content and set, sent scripts in for our videos at Mm -hmm. two, three in the morning. Cause it was just the only time we could work. But you know, people were on the verge or in the midst of like completely burning out. So I do hope that in these situations that people were treated with a little bit of, I don't know, gentleness and understanding before it got to this. Yeah. Uh, Listener Jesse says uh, people should check. And I actually had a note that you just really need to check out the best Zoom fails out there. I mean, we got to remember the classics like the potato boss and the cat lawyer. Like, I mean, if it were not for this pandemic, we wouldn't have the hilarity of viral Zoom fails. I haven't caught any of these. I've been too busy working. Right, Jeff? You sound like a lot of fun. All right. Also, the other thing is, can we just right now call it no more Zoom backgrounds? No more fake backgrounds. I don't care if it's a window to nowhere behind you. I just want to see it because that's way less distracting than when half your face goes away because you catch a funky glare. Okay. Can I also add, though, that like we can still use the phone. Like We had the phone before, <laughs> yeah. and then suddenly we have to Zoom with everyone. It was never going to be a face-to-face to begin with. Why does everything have yeah. to be a Zoom now? How, it doesn't have to be. How about when you're the person that calls in, and there's like the five minutes of just, oh, so are you not – are you having trouble with the Zoom? Yeah. Are you – Oh, you're not going to call. Oh, you're just going to call in. I can't see you. Yeah. I can't see your face. Yeah. I'm lying down in my bed and I'm barely hanging on. That's why I'm on my phone. All right. I am in tears. Yeah. That's why I'm on audio only. Is that what you want to (laughs) hear? All right. Our next most popular story this week. Tesla on part automated drive system slams into police car. On Saturday, August 28th, a Tesla on autopilot slammed into a Florida highway patrol cruiser Uh, on the interstate. The car narrowly missed the officer who had pulled over to assist a disabled vehicle. The 27-year-old man in the Tesla and the driver of the disabled vehicle suffered minor injuries, but the trooper wasn't hurt. Researchers say Teslas are having trouble with parked emergency vehicles and perpendicular trucks in its path. The National Highway Highway Traffic Safety Administration recently opened an investigation Uh, into the issue. And since 2018, 11 Teslas on autopilot have hit first responders who have used flashing lights, flares, an illuminated arrow board or cones warning of hazards. In those crashes, 17 people were injured and one was killed. The investigation could lead to a recall of other enforcement action. Jeff, it sounds like you're starting to get them on board with a little bit of regulation, if only for this. I I hate how... I feel like I'm constantly waffling in these conversations because I don't want government to be overly involved in the development of this type of commercial technology. But when people are too stupid to use it correctly, it seems like somebody has to. Yeah. And that's what's happening here. Tesla put something out, and we did a story earlier, how he Elon Musk even said, you know, it's not great. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's yeah. Not, you know, you got to be careful with this one. Yeah. All the instructions from Tesla say it is not an autonomous system. You still need to keep your hands on the wheel. People don't want to do that. Yeah. So it does seem like there does need to be some sort of involvement just because, as you said many times, people can't have nice things. Yeah. So I don't, I don't know, other than having some sort of enforcement involved here, maybe it's a separate type of licensing that you have to go through yeah. in order to have any vehicle with any type of autonomous functionality to it, yeah. just so that you're somehow qualified or something to, to have these vehicles. Because, 
I mean, geez, in this case, the trooper was almost taken out. Yeah. Just yeah. because he was doing his job and yeah. somebody else had the vehicle in the wrong mode and wasn't paying attention. Yeah. yeah it's, and it's it's not – it is on Tesla to be responsible, but it's like not their fault that people are misusing their product. Right. Yeah. And that's where I get caught because I don't know how you fix that. Yeah. Anna, I feel like if the it was uh, any time for the NHTSA to take a cue, it was the not great tweet. <laughs> you know? You had a window – in between the tweet and this accident, really should have seized that moment. Yeah, I don't, I mean, they've got a long leash, Tesla. Yeah. Yeah. I don't know. It's interesting because I just saw a report on another technology and development that helps driver assist and future autonomous vehicles read road signs because the researchers involved said that it can be easy to trick these systems into misreading road signs due mm-hmm. to like light reflections, weather, even stickers like on a stop sign. Um, And that technology is intending to assist LiDAR, um, LiDAR based vision systems. Tesla doesn't use LiDAR famously. They use like cameras and sensors. Right. Um, But as you can see, they're not the only um, company that's struggling with accuracy on these systems. So they're not alone there. But should we allow these systems to be tested by average drivers? I mean, back to Jeff's point, I, I think that's a big ask. It's a risk. It makes me feel like Tesla, seeing stuff like this makes me think that Tesla has not come very far since 2016 yeah, when we yeah. first saw, I think, the first death attributed to autopilot when a person driving a Tesla on autopilot slammed into a semi because the autopilot did not recognize that semi as being there and thought it was the horizon. Right. Um, that has happened a couple other times since then, as recently as this year, mm-hmm. where someone has slammed into the side of a semi. Um, I think that people need to stay vigilant when using autopilot, but if they're not, then... That's a problem. Mm-hmm. I don't, you know, like I know you you don't place much blame on Tesla here. I, I think I do more than you because I do think that they have a responsibility even if the legal framework does not exist yeah. at this yeah. point to assist that and come up with a way that's better than this. Because to your point, I mean, that officer almost lost his or her life just being there on the side of the road. Because he had- his emergency lights on. Like that's terrifying that we're going to subject our first responders who already have a dangerous job to mm-hmm. more danger because we're not willing to put any kind of restrictions on this. I yeah. don't think that that is right. I, uh, one thing, because unfortunately we wind up talking about autopilot problems quite a bit on the podcast and we often bring up like putting it in a little bit more context. So I wanted to look up some stats. Uh, in 2019, there were 18,510 crashes per day in the United States. So even if we take all 11 of these bad accidents since 2018, that's still only like 0.06% of accidents per day. You know, like, so I understand that we do kind of got to rein in the technology a little bit, but, you know, Tesla's taking a lot of heat. I mean, rightfully so, you Mm -hmm. know, people are getting hurt, but we got to kind of put it in perspective that, you know, no, like the ideal scenario is zero crashes, but it's still Mm -hmm. not a lot in terms of the grand scheme of things. Well, it's interesting. I was thinking about a lot of different technologies that have been put in place to help make vehicles easier or safer to drive. Yeah. Think about power steering. Yeah. Power Mm -hmm. brakes, automatic transmissions, Mm -hmm. um, automatic headlights, all that kind of stuff. And as you look at the number of fatalities, not necessarily the number of crashes, but Mm -hmm. through the years, 
the fatalities have come down significantly, at least especially since like the early 70s, late 60s, early 70s. Yeah. There was over 50,000 fatalities a year. Right now, we've been very consistently in like that mid-30s range. Yeah. <clears throat> Excuse me, for like the last five to 10 years. So, and that's with more people driving, higher population, more vehicles on the road. Mm-hmm. So in theory, all of these things that have made vehicles easier to drive hasn't necessarily meant less crashes, yeah. but it has meant less fatalities. Right. Autonomous driving has, and I know like these accidents get a lot more attention than all of the other safe routes and, and uh, all the other um, is situations where they have been in charge and there haven't been problems. But you do wonder then, is this going to be one of the first technologies put out there with safety in mind yeah. that could potentially tilt things the other way? Yeah, mm-hmm. that's a really good point. Um, moving on to our next story, it's a Jeff story because, and you could tell because it has the greatest headline ever the dumbest tech thieves ever. (laughs) (laughs) On July 6th, 2021, thieves broke into a major shipping company's overnight Dropbox. While they were caught on closed caption TV cameras, they appeared to make a quick and clean getaway. However, the high-tech gear they stole was manufactured by Rombi, a provider of global supply chain visibility products. For multiple days spanning multiple crimes, the thieves were driving around with 25 bright yellow GPS trackers. Officers in the Santa Clara Police Department were elated when they found out that the thieves had stolen GPS devices. They received hourly location updates on their suspects as they traveled more than 760 miles during the next 12 days. The trackers were en route to a COVID vaccine manufacturer to track pharmaceutical shipments. Now, what's crazy, Anna, is that this wasn't even the first time that this company has had its trackers stolen. It's hilarious. It is hilarious. (laughs) I like to picture these detectives, and if it were me, I would be like, oh, I'm just buried up to my ears in this case. I cannot (laughs) get away from my desk and just close the door. Mm -hmm. They're like knowing full well where the thieves are, where the goods are. Just waiting to pounce. It's awesome. Yeah. I mean, it was risky in the first place for these thieves to target goods in transit or a warehouse because I think more technology there is becoming commonplace in terms of tracking. But um, I saw another story very recently that reminded me of this. Um, It's about a technology that Samsung has embedded into their smart TVs to deter thieves, and they were able to use it recently in South Africa. Mm. So according to reports, they were able to identify the serial numbers on a bunch of TVs that were stolen out of a warehouse. Okay. Um, and they were able to make use of their ability to remotely brick TVs. Oh. So, yeah, so they can't exactly like real time track them. They can't brick them until they're connected to the internet, but you can't like set them up until they're connected yeah. to the internet. Mm-hmm. So, great technology, though a bit reactive. I mean, yeah. who knows in case of these TVs, like they're probably already sold, <laughs> you yeah. know, yeah. and gone by yeah. the time this comes into play. I don't know if it's as good of a deterrent as something like what what Jeff laid out in this other video. But interesting nonetheless, the kind of ideas companies are coming up with to keep tabs on their goods and maybe make them a little bit harder to steal. Jeff, I'm no criminal, <laughs> but don't you Google the loot? <clears throat> Google the loot. If you don't know what it is, probably a good idea, right? Right? Just like, hold on a second, man. What do we got there? Get him out of the car. No. Yeah, well, the thing is, they grabbed this out like a, um, a Dropbox. Yeah. So... I don't know where to like, like, why were you putting this stuff like, you know, fairly expensive electronics or complicated electronics in a Dropbox, which probably that you should feel good about that. Mm-hmm. So the major carrier, but do these Dropboxes need to get more secure too? Are you talking like, an, like, 
like an Amazon pickup point or something? Is that what you mean by Dropbox? Um, no, it was like a, a like I think this was actually FedEx. Okay, I think it was like a FedEx Dropbox that yeah. they put in. Now, I'm not super familiar with it. I haven't used them and stuff, mm-hmm. but you'd think there's got to be enough security in there that it couldn't be easy to get stuff out of it. Right. Yeah. So I don't know if that needs to be. I don't know, beefed up a little bit. Do you think it was an inside job? I don't. (laughs) I mean, if you will allow a moment of conspiracy (gasps) David does. This was, as Jeff says, a great great case study for the company. And I'm just saying they got a lot of press about how great their GPS trackers work. I'm Mm, just saying. Maybe they put an ad on Craigslist like, hey, uh, got a real loose security on our Dropbox here. Anyone want to do some jail time for our yeah. marketing campaign? We swear well, we won't press drive. If that was, if it was an inside job, I mean, kudos to these thieves for taking it to the next level because they continued stealing stuff. Yeah. Like, they just kept going. They, they just, just were into the role. Yeah. yeah. So, I mean, they just kept going it's with it. It's called method acting, Jeff. Yeah. Well, they're doing some real method prison time now, so. Um, yeah. But, yeah, I mean, the best part was the cops just basically going, Really? Yeah, mm-hmm. they stole they stole GPS trackers. Let's just see how this plays out. That's yeah. hilarious. Getting everything um, set up basically to grab them. I do appreciate the patience of, but I mean, yeah, I, I uh, to your point earlier, Anna, like twelve days, just like yeah, we're we're gonna follow this case to mm-hmm. the end, and just what were they checking their phone? Like, no, 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 they're just having lunch now. Yeah, they're at Del Taco. It's fine. Yeah, that's exactly what they were doing. You can no. see the map, like for every place they went. Yeah, yeah, it's uh, pretty cool. All right. Our most popular story on the websites this week, train T-Bone's truck carrying a wind turbine blade. On Sunday, August 29th, a train crashed into a semi-truck carrying a wind turbine blade in Luling, Texas. The truck tried to cross a railroad while turning right and didn't make it. And a Union Pacific train struck the wind turbine, which pulled the semi-truck over, tipped it on its side, hit a bunch of parked cars, a utility pole, and even hit a business. Miraculously, no one was hurt, including the driver of the truck operated by a Minnesota-based Northern Lights Specialized. The crash caused all kinds of damage and shut down a major road for several hours. Transporting wind turbines is actually very challenging. According to NS Energy, the distance between most wind facilities is too great for companies to build manufacturing facilities within close proximity. Moving turbine parts requires planning, Anna, that often takes more than a year. And I feel like... Maybe they just needed one more day for this one. Oh, you know, we talk about a driver shortage in long haul trucking. Mm-hmm. And if you look at that closely, it's not that trucking companies are having trouble recruiting or hiring. It's really a retention problem. Mm-hmm. And I've seen statistics that cite as high as a 90% annual turnover rate in trucking, mm-hmm. which is really hard to fathom. But then you see stories like these, and <laughs> I think there's a few things in play here. So one... Perhaps drivers not as well trained or skilled in some of these more challenging scenarios. That's clear, right? Mm -hmm. But two, it sounds like an exceedingly challenging route, to your point, and extremely challenging cargo. I mean, does that driver like just dust himself off after this and get back in a rig? Or is he like, forget this, I will do something else for 25 miles or $25 in that rig? Well, no, yeah. I know, but like in it, like that was probably traumatic and terrifying for this driver. Mm-hmm. And local officials even acknowledged like that's a tough intersection. Yeah. You know, something tells me this driver didn't realize this, or he probably would not have attempted to sneak across it um, and attempt that turn quickly when that train was coming. Mm-hmm. So I just feel like there's a lot of things in play here. But my point is, this 
does not when you look at the problems the trucking industry is having yeah. retaining employees it's not gonna help it yeah i mean yeah. it's tough it's not this is not something that somebody's just gonna like bounce back from like well, this guy's gone for sure i and, think like and it's not just that driver i mean yeah that video jeff if you watch the video has been viewed more than 10 million times and i mean i'm even gonna put the disclaimer out there some harsh language there by some surprised cameramen just uh <laughs> Yeah. Needed two warnings on that one when we posted it to the site. No, really, yeah. there's going to be cursing because a train hits a truck. Uh, Jeff, what were your thoughts on the story? Well, two things hit me. First of all, excuse me. <clears throat> I was surprised how much goes into just setting up a wind farm. Totally. Like the stats you alluded to, 650 truckloads, 140 rail cars, and eight ships. Yep. Wow. I mean, yep. that is a ton of logistics, as you guys were talking about. They're over a year to set up. So I had no idea just... Man, the amount of planning and supply chain coordination that was involved in setting up a wind farm. That's yeah. that's kind of mind-blowing. So you can see why maybe there's not as many. And then when you throw in situations like this, what it also brings to mind, and, and Anna alluded to the fact that there's been issues at this intersection. The article, I believe, said something like 13 incidents over the last 20-ish years. Right. So that means every year and a half, two years, something happens at this railroad train crossing. Which is mm-hmm. pretty to scary. me, that kind of shines a light back on a lot of the infrastructure stuff that we're talking about. If this is a common shipping lane or, or a highly used route for these drivers and they have trouble with this train, with mm-hmm. this rail crossing, we obviously need to do something there. It's yeah. a perpendicular turn. Yeah. They're going west to north. Mm-hmm. I mean, that's mm-hmm. that isn't common. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So it seems like we need to be able to invest in ways to make this safer. To your point, I'm keeping truck drivers or just keeping everybody safe. I mean, mm-hmm. this caused a ton of damage. Yeah. yeah. I mean, it's bad enough what happened to that semi, to the train, to what it was hauling. There, Thank God no one else was hurt. I wonder how long he was at that intersection before that happened. Because, yeah. I mean, if you, I mean, that turn looks like he's got to come all the way across all yeah. traffic and maybe swing back. And I still don't think he makes that turn. No, I mean, there's like buildings and stuff in the way for him going as wide as he needed to. I think that's why it was taking so long. Yeah. Why stuff was slowed down. I mean, just think and think about all of the other in the in the scope of what happened, much less important, but it delays everybody in that area for how long while mm-hmm. this individual tries to get around there. Yeah. And then how long is that going to you know, stalemate everything else there after this type of accident. I mean, yeah. yeah. So it just again, we're we're talking about spending all this money in infrastructure, and it looks like a lot of it's going through. Here's a reason why we need it. Yeah, I was uh, just kind of half joking because people are worried about wind turbines killing birds, but uh, <laughs> quite a bit more damage when they're just trying to get them to the wind farm. Uh, and it's your point. Yeah, the American Trucking Association, the industry says that the industry is short. 60,800 drivers right now. Mm-hmm. And if nothing is done, the shortage could reach 160,000 in the U.S. by 2028. So, you know, uh, stuff like this certainly isn't going to help. No. The uh, cost of having a truck sit idle at a company's facility can range from $500 to $1,500 per day per truck because they can't find a driver. Mm-hmm. Wow. And one of the problems is that the age requirement, and we've talked about this before, but Federal law prevents drivers who are younger than 21 from hauling freight across state lines, even though younger drivers can obtain these commercial driver's license uh, in individual states. The federal government recently created a national database of uh, drivers. Oh, this is another big issue for the driver shortage. But Mm -hmm. they recently created this national database of drivers who failed drug tests. Now, we understand we don't want drivers on the road if they've failed a drug test. But the ATA, which pushed for the requirement and fully supports it, says that there are 70,000 drivers that have been deemed ineligible 
in this database mm-hmm. because of failing I a drug this. test. Yeah. And only 12,000 have gone through the process of kind of being able to return to duty. I mean, that's another, I mean, it's, it seems like the shortage is going in the wrong direction. Oh, it definitely is. I mean, and, but it's been bad for so long. Mm-hmm. You just, you know, like I said before, it, I don't think it's an issue of they can't hire people. I think they just can't keep people. So what happens? I mean, that just this just recurs and recurs. Yeah. yeah. Well, I think in a lot of these, when I read that report, I thought a lot of it was like marijuana use, right? Yeah. And, yeah. and what they called recreational use. But the problem there is, even if that shows up, if somewhere they tested positive, some insurance company is going to find that. Oh, yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. And then you're looking, it's not just about giving that individual another shot. It's also dealing with insurance costs that are going to come in. So then it, it's not just about getting that person out there. It's the extra costs associated with the fact that you do want that person. Weighing that against, well, mm-hmm. do I not hire them or do I have my truck sit idle? Yeah. You know, so that's puts these, uh, these shippers in a tough spot too. Very good. Uh, let's move on to in case you missed it. The stories that came out this week maybe didn't, weren't as popular, but still stand to make a big impact on the industry going forward. Um, I'll start. My story this week was a manufacturer raises wages to compete for employees. Gear Motions manufactures custom cut and precision ground gears for everything from oil pumps and cars to medical devices. Earlier this month, construction began on the company's new factory in Tonawanda, New York. Staffing the new 56,000-square-foot facility, however, could be a challenge. In a recent NPR article, President and CEO Dean Burroughs discussed the company's challenges in finding skilled labor. During the pandemic, many of Gear Motion's machinists took early repi- retirement. Mm. Burroughs says that it's difficult to attract talent, because he's, and he's not even looking for skilled labor. He will take anyone. He raised wages by 20% and offered to train prospective employees. Still, he's struggling to find workers, particularly for second ship positions, as he competes for company with companies like Amazon and even McDonald's. Burroughs has been forced to push our orders out or just refuse business entirely because he says it's not worth the risk to his reputation if he can't get employees who produce the product. Now, I thought this had a couple of interesting things on the industry because, you know, raising wages by 20 percent mm-hmm. and he's still having trouble bringing people in. Yeah, it seems like it's happening in every industry, though. Yeah. Uh, Jeff, I don't know if you had a chance to check out this story, but I think it's great that he is making another manufacturer more competitive, especially as, you know, he's competing with like Amazon and McDonald's. Where is he located again? New York. New York. Tonawanda. Tonawanda. Yeah, uh, he's in New York. And uh, he also, uh, the new facility is bringing, uh, is going to combine two separate divisions that are in other locations in New York. Um, but yeah, it, uh, it's, it's forcing manufacturers to get innovative in different ways. Yeah. When we talk about innovation and manufacturing, we're talking about technology, production efficiencies, all that. Mm-hmm. This is more, I guess, set up the way you set your company up and, yeah. and mm-hmm. the way that you structure it. What's interesting, what I think about now is we just saw a report, I think it was this morning that came out, unemployment is down to 5%. Mm-hmm. How do we have an unemployment rate? Like right now, we it's just week after week we're hearing these things about these manufacturers struggling to find people. They're paying them well. They're yeah. offering to train them. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. I mean, what is what is what's, what's stopping take? folks? I don't mean to sound like I'm eighty here, but like get a job. Yeah. You know? I mean, yeah. what's going on? <laughs> does it grind your gears? <laughs> oh man, it really does. Unintended pun. Sorry. Um, Usually that's your job. <laughs> I'll get one in there. All right, uh, Anna. What was your in case you missed it this week? Uh, so. Algeria, the last country on earth to be using leaded gasoline, has stopped providing leaded gasoline. 
prompting the UN Environmental Agency to declare the official end of its use in cars, which has been blamed for a wide range of human health problems, as we know. Mm -hmm. So leaded gas is officially dead. It's easy to forget that it was still being produced because it was banned in the U.S. in like the 90s, I believe. Yeah. yeah. Um, but after which lead levels in Americans' uh, blood actually plummeted. Um, Good. Yeah, I know. That David, like is, that a, is that a good thing, David? Good Do you think one. it's good? It's kind of one of your segues, isn't it? Okay. David, that's a good thing, right? <laughs> I think it's uh, controversial. I mean, I'm pro-lead. <laughs> Get off your anti-lead agenda. <laughs> <laughs> well, we know a lot about the health implications of lead. Most of us know. Yeah. Um, <laughs> but there are environmental ones as well. And I thought it was interesting because the report cites how rich countries began to phase out leaded fuel. Um, but then the U.N. just finally said enough is enough and they tried to abolish it globally and it worked. Yeah. Um, this is it working. So U.N. Secretary General Antonio Guterres said that the successful abolition of leaded gas, like the ban on ozone depleting chemicals, showed the impact that international treaties could have on addressing environmental issues. And we must now – Turn the same commitment to ending the triple crises of climate disruption, biodiversity loss, and pollution. Mm -hmm. um, I thought that was very powerful. And I think for the naysayers who say that poor countries can't or won't get on board with global initiatives targeting carbon cuts, mm -hmm. um, let's take this as, as an opportunity to be optimistic and maybe set some ambitious targets and try to work towards them. That was the what I took from this. It, it was like – uh, you know, some of this stuff, I think people get really down on our prospects and it's hard not to. It's pretty bleak looking at some of these climate reports. Mm -hmm. But we close that hole in the ozone layer, yeah, you know, like yeah. leaded gas is done. Like, let's try to make some progress yeah, here on climate change. I think we can we can try. Yeah. And this is like it's like you said, a good indicator that it's possible. It's possible. Uh, Jeff, as your 80 year old self, do cars just not drive the same now that lead's not in the gas? <laughs> yeah. In I the think we're good there. In the 1900s, <laughs> early 1900s, were you a lead sound gas? Like my kids. Yeah. You know, were you in school with Abraham Lincoln? That was actually something they liked. <laughs> so no, I mean, that's great. I, I had to actually reread this. Like I couldn't believe that was still a thing to be honest. I know. Yeah. Like, yeah. That was, that was kind of crazy. Um, good for the UN. They finally got one. That one. <laughs> the pained look in your face. Yeah. Well, good for them. Jeff's no. excited. <laughs> he's nursing a lawnmower injury, remember? So he's not at his best today. We're almost there. <laughs> We're almost there. Uh, Jeff, what was your in case you missed it this week? So I think this has been out there. Maybe it just didn't pop on our sites as much because it's been a lot of other places. But I'm sort of captivated by this whole thing around Elizabeth Holmes mm -hmm. and, and Theranos. Um, I watched the documentary. I've read a bunch of stuff on it. For those who aren't familiar, she was the, I don't know. Visionary. The, the, yeah. yeah. <laughs> it's the, the, the Steve Jobs, supposedly, of the medical, home medical health uh, um, initiative. She was a, an entrepreneur out in Silicon Valley. She supposedly had developed a machine for home blood testing. Yeah. So basically, get a blood test. It would tell you anything and everything you wanted to know about disease, cancer, everything. Mm -hmm. yeah. Right? The only problem is she got a ton of money and it didn't work. Yeah. And it never was going to work. She never knew how to make it work. Yeah. But she just kept taking more and more money. She's finally going to trial for a list of different fraud charges. Mm -hmm. And this article was kind of like, okay, this starts, and it's all of these things that are against her that are very obvious that she did wrong. She lied. She was <laughs> she was yeah. kind of a bully internally to people, mm -hmm. making them manipulate different data and reports, both financially and like product development-wise. Yeah. But in the meantime, of all this coming out to now going to trial, she's gotten married, 
Mm-hmm. And she has a child. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, and they're wondering what impact, like the social dynamic that she now presents, no. will people still see her as sort of the monster, maybe too hard of a word, but this yeah. lying, manipulative mm-hmm. corporate individual who basically bilked hundreds of millions of dollars out of several investors. Are you accusing her of a PR baby? I don't think she did it on purpose, but it's it's an interesting thought process. Like, how would that impact how they're going to look yeah. at her? You know. Yeah, I mean, you're right. I've seen reports about that. They think the jury may be more sympathetic to her because she has a newborn baby. Yeah. Well, it's. I mean, uh, I like the story because I like to talk about how CEOs fake it till they make it, and she is just the gold standard oh. of not making it. About, yeah. <laughs> the documentary well, and faking it. I mean, yeah. it oh, yeah. very like to another level. Yeah, impressive. I the uh, part of the documentary that I enjoyed was when she was like blatantly lying in front of the engineers who were not making what she wanted to happen have happen happen, and they're just like she's like yeah 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 it's got to do this, and they're like it's not going to do that. (laughs) (laughs) We can't do that. Yeah. Yeah. All right. Well, I guess uh, the jury's still out on that story. Final thoughts. Uh, let's move on to Jeff first because I have been eagerly anticipating this lawnmower incident story. I mm-hmm. think I way set this up way too much, yeah. but oh. you know, whatever. Okay. <laughs> so well, actually, my final thought came to me no. when I was cutting the grass last night because I wasn't sweating buckets; like mm-hmm. it was nice outside. Yeah. But that was interrupted by the fact: Have you ever been stung by a hornet? Ooh. Yeah. Man, I ran over a hornet's nest <gasps> with a lawnmower, <laughs> and like four of them. Yeah. Just and I thought like I kicked something up like I hit a rock or something like that because it felt like like when a um, like a, a log on the campfire pops or something and oh, you just yeah. get that little like mm-hmm. shard that shoots at you and just for a minute it burns yeah and it wouldn't stop yeah. and I looked down and I had like three of them on my legs <gasps> and yeah. the one of them got me right on like the ankle bone yeah it still hurts <laughs> yeah <laughs> I felt like the biggest baby I was out there swearing and people are probably like what is wrong with this guy and I'm just <laughs> swatting at my legs because these hornets just like. Tore up my shins. Yeah. <laughs> Hurt so bad. Yeah. Because my thought was going to be like, it's going to be the fall of the year, yeah. which is so nice. Like, mm-hmm. it's yeah. been nice and cool at night and when we're playing softball and stuff. Football starts. Yeah. Great yeah. things to look forward to. Then the hornets struck. <laughs> then you the hornets missed. struck. Yeah. yeah. No, the, uh, I just want it to freeze so they die. <laughs> hornets and bees have been particularly bad this summer. We had uh, three different stings this weekend at the cottage. Well, like, bees are kind of one thing, but yeah. man, I had never been stung by a hornet before. Oof. I had hurt. I had a really bad incident uh, when I was a kid. My dad had an old uh, uh, postal worker Jeep that he uh, just used around the house. I thought it would just be uh, fun. Used around the house. Yeah. You know, it's like. Drove around doing laundry. Well, I mean, he's a a farmer, so we got plenty of equipment that's not doing a lot of stuff out there. Um, But I thought it would be cool to go in there and hang out in the Jeep. And there was a hornet's nest uh, which I guess is proof as to how much we used it. Mm-hmm. But uh, a hornet's nest had formed in the passenger seat, and uh, they attacked <gasps> my ear. And it was just like, all of a sudden, I'm just like pretending to drive in that hot fire on my face. Yeah. Oh, my God. Yeah, it was that horrible. Is, yeah, I cannot imagine. Yeah. Man. And we are the my girl generation, so the tra- the trauma oh, yeah. Yeah, of the, <sighs> the bee stings, yeah. Um, no, so I feel for you there. Ice that thing, man. <laughs> Get that stinger out of there. Um, Anna, what's your final thought this week? Mm, I'm really glad I don't have a hornet story. <laughs> yeah, they're coming for you. <laughs> uh, by the time most of you see this, Labor Day weekend will be over. 
But for us, it's about to start. Yeah. And I don't have any plans, and I don't know if that's good or bad. Probably, according to the CDC, it's probably good. Yeah. Um, but we're just going to hang out and, as Jeff said, hopefully enjoy like a little bit cooling off of temperatures because oh, yeah. my kids are like really over the inflatable pool that at the beginning of the summer is like everyone's super excited to use it. Now they're like, oh, the pool again. <laughs> okay. Yeah. Like, it's a, uh, yeah. The, uh, it's nothing pumpkin, like it's pumpkin patch time. It's apple picking time. Let's get to that. <laughs> there you go. Yeah. Nothing like uh, trying to fill an extra day with children. It's like, Hey, what are you going to do for the long weekend? I'm going to barely survive. How about yourself? How about yourself? Uh, I'm going to make it until bedtime. Then I'm going to drink until I sleep. No. <laughs> uh, my final thought this week, other than, you know, <laughs> using moderation, is uh, we have a couple of cool taste tests coming up. And I just wanted to uh, shout that out because we haven't tried them yet. We got uh, we just got a box of meat sticks. And what did you get? Some salsa? Uh, some, yeah, some organic, like, chili salsa, yeah. Oh, right on. Good. Yeah, so uh, we'll be shooting that. So those will be uh, dropping this week, too. So make sure to check those out. Um, all right. So let's, before we get out of here, please make sure to like subscribe and share the podcast to email the podcast. You can reach any of us at Jeff, Anna, or David at IEN.com with email the subject or email the podcast in the subject line. Also make sure to subscribe to our daily newsletter. Make sure you get it in your inbox first. All right. For Jeff and Anna, I'm David Manti, and this is the Today in Manufacturing podcast. We'll see you next week. Thank you for listening to the Today in Manufacturing podcast.